There is no space where men can hang around, where they're not expected to spend money, where they can talk freely to each other and they can hang around for as long as they want and it's accessible. That place doesn't exist, but it was supposed to be the masjid. If the masjids were to open up like this, they could solve so many of the problems that men are experiencing today. When I was seven years old, I was at this school, at this junior school, and one day I'm sat in school and this, this man walks in, he must be about 30, 40 years old, right? He's got a mustache. We're talking um, mid to late 80s here, right? That's when I was seven, so it would have been like 1987-ish, or 1988, eight or nine years old. And this, guy, this gentleman walks in, Arab-looking gentleman walks in, Middle Eastern-looking, so he walks in and immediately seems very, he seems like a very dignified man, very mild-mannered, very gentle-natured, but at the same time, very masculine guy. He walks in and as he walks in, um, he starts speaking and he says, this is Ashraf. So I look down and I realize that there's a, there's a young boy stood there and he's in, he's in this suit and he's got the biggest smile on his face. His face is just beaming. He's shining like no one's business, right? And this is clearly his father that's speaking, that's walked in. So his father starts to speak and says, this is Ashraf. He's, I think he was eight years old or seven years old at the time. He's seven years old. He's very intelligent. We've just come from Iraq. We've just moved in and he's going to be studying with you guys today. And he's speaking to the teachers and he just, he does this like wonderful formal introduction, right? And at that moment, I'm thinking, I wish my parents had done this for me. I mean, I, I just, I just loved what his father did for this son. And his son's absolutely beaming. And so there was this amazing introduction for this new kid to this school. We were already a few months into term. Uh, but these guys had come over from Iraq. His father had actually come over to do his PhD at a university. I think it would have been Sheffield University at that time. So he'd come over to do the PhD. So he was enrolling his child into school. Anyway, uh, it just so happened Ashraf was placed on my table. I'm looking at this kid who's in this suit, who's in this real getup. This, you know, this kid's got this amazing star power. And obviously he's had this amazing introduction as well. We, we start studying and stuff. And I start thinking to myself, you know... I've seen that face before. So the face of the father, I start thinking to myself, I've seen that face before. And I realized I'd actually seen that face the night before when I stepped out into um, our driveway at our house. I looked over the fence and I'd seen that face the night before. And I realized we'd had new neighbors moved in. And this was Ashraf and his father that had moved in next door to us. You know, I was just starting to connect the dots in my head as an eight-year-old. And... Ashraf was actually my new neighbor. So when I got home that day, obviously I introduced myself to Ashraf at home. And then we both realized we were next door neighbors and that began a really good friendship, right? So Ashraf and I, because obviously we went to the same school and we lived next door to each other, we were friends, everyday school buddies for a good three to four years. We would get driven to school some days. Some days we would walk to school. We were having lunch together. I would go over to his house in the morning and then we'd walk to school together. So he would come back to my house in the afternoon. We might have a snack together. He'd see me getting in trouble off my mum when I couldn't do my homework properly. And he would come and help me. And then, you know, we, we learned how to ride bigger bikes together. We were always on the road together. So we, we spent a lot of time together. We went and watched movies together. We had a new shopping mall that opened up near us. So we kind of discovered that together. There was a lot of time that we spent with each other. He knew my family. I knew his family, his siblings my siblings so on and so on right so it was you know like a proper school buddy friendship 
But then as I got a little bit older, when I got to around 10 or 11 years old, we moved to another town. My dad bought another house. Ashraf stayed where he was. Obviously, I missed Ashraf. He missed me. We, we wanted to stay in touch with each other. So he would actually either get dropped off by his mum every now and again, especially in the summer holidays, and he would come and stay. Or he would ride his bike up to my house, or I would ride my bike down to his and, and we would hang out together. And then... That went on until I was like 13 or 14. And then all of a sudden, one day, Ashraf just disappeared. Like, I just don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared, right? His whole family disappeared. I just don't know what happened. I then later found out that his father's PhD had finished and they had to go back to Iraq because they'd only had to stay for as long as his, his father had a student visa. So he had to up and leave. But I, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, which was, that was really upsetting. And all of a sudden, one of my school buddies was gone. One of my best friends was gone. And, and I never saw him again. And then when the Iraq war took place, I was constantly thinking about him. I was constantly thinking, is he still there? Is he alive? What must be going through his head? Is he caught up in the war? You know, has he been hurt? How's his family? How's his mom? How's his sister? How's his dad? It was constantly on my mind, but I, I just didn't know how to reach him. I had no means with which to contact him. I didn't even know if he was in Iraq. I didn't know where he was. And then fast forward about five or six years later, I got a random message from Facebook. And the guy sends me a message on Facebook. He says, hello, do you remember me? I used to live next door to you. We used to go to, go to school together. And I looked at the name. I looked at the picture. Immediately knew it was Ashraf, of course and messaged him back straight away and said of course I remember you and he said to me I said he said oh well as it happens I'm coming to the UK next month and I'd love to meet you and I said of course I'd love to meet you as well and uh, he came back and of course we met and you know by now it turned out he was married he had kids uh, he's, he, of course he was still alive and he was living life in Iraq and it just so happened he was now coming over for his PhD in the UK and when I met him he still had that smile on his face he was still brimming he was still beaming he said I've come to set myself up and then my wife and kids are going to come over shortly after so it just so happened at that time I was getting married I just met my uh, wife I just was just about to get engaged or I just gotten engaged one of the two I can't remember exactly and he was at my wedding I got married, his, his, I, I met his wife for the first time and I met his children, which was really, really nice. And then he was studying in Leeds and then I, I, I went up to see him a few times. I spoke to him on the phone a few times and I noticed over a period of those two or three years, I noticed Ashraf's energy just go down and down and down and down. And each time that I met him, I noticed that that smile started just going in and in and in and in and th that's not Ashraf he, he's not that kind of person he's a very kind of bright and lively guy and he's he's always up for a joke but he's, he's a very respectful very dignified man he's very careful about how he kind of jokes around with you but he just he just wants to bring joy into people's lives he just kind of want, wants to bond with people and and you know just socialize and have a good time but I noticed that this thing was just going down and down and down. And I, I couldn't understand what it was. And I thought maybe the PhD is, ju is just really tough because PhDs are really tough. But, but Ashraf is academically very intelligent. He's a very capable guy. So I, I wondered if that's what it really was. He's always aced those things really, really well. Before we continue on this video, I just want to invite you to my Discord community. Look, the world has changed and it is changing still. And on my Discord, which is a simple mobile app that you can use, you can stay in touch with other like-minded people like me who are staying informed of the things that are happening around the world that are going to affect our daily lives very, very soon. So come and join me on my Discord community and let's grow together and let's navigate this changing world order together.
And, and I couldn't understand what this was. And I was starting to notice this on his wife as well. I was starting to, his, not, his wife was also just very kind of demure and very, just a very smiley person. And noticed even she was trying to kind of rein it in a little bit as well. And I couldn't understand what it was. And then we, um, we got to talking a few times on the phone and he said to me, he said, you know, he goes, there just doesn't seem to be the social life in the UK. He said, men just want to talk about work. They don't want to hang out. If you hang around with the non-Muslims, they just want to drink alcohol. They just want to do those kind of things. He said, nobody just wants to sit and talk. And I said, yeah, I know. And he says, well, how, how, how do you know? How come you've not said anything? I said, I've just, I said, I've just gotten used to it. I said, this is just as painful for me. I said, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. I said, nobody just wants to hang around anymore, especially men. They just don't want to hang around and just talk. If they do want to hang around, they want to talk shop. They, they want to talk about how to make more money. They want to talk about how to hustle more. And if they don't want to do that, then they just want to, they just want to bury their head in sports football or whatever else and that's all they want to do but they don't just want to talk and just get to know the other person I said I don't know what the what the cause of that is but yes this is going on in the UK this does happen a lot and probably other western countries as well and I think Ashraf was kind of looking for a solution from me and I didn't have one and I was kind of looking for a solution from him and he didn't really have one and we didn't really know what to say to each other and then, um, unfortunately, his time was up in the country. His PhD came to an end. He, he, you know, he got his thesis done, did really, really well with all of that. And he had to move his family back to, to Iraq. And he was kind of in two minds because there was a financial implication of all of this in moving back. He was kind of between a rock and a hard place. So there were difficult uh, decisions to be made. If he was to stay here, it would have been financially very difficult to support himself. And he would have had to, he would have to pay back his university for, for having spent money on his PhD and stuff. There was a financial burden there. But then if he went back to Iraq, obviously the economic climate in Iraq is not great. So he didn't really know what to do between the two. But anyway, in the end, he ended up making the decision of going back to Iraq. And I remember speaking to him when he came down. He was going to fly back from London. I was in London at the time. And he came down and we went out for a meal together as families. And we, you know, we spent some time together uh, in my home. And then I dropped him and his family back off at the hotel. And I remember dropping him off. And I remember his son saying to me, I want to stay in touch with you. Give me your email address. Give me your WhatsApp or something. I want to stay in touch. And that's okay. But I... I I didn't have any issue with that, but it was surprising to see an 11 or a 12 year old say to somebody in the UK, I want to stay in touch with you. I remember um, Ashraf also saying to me that of everybody that I've hung around with here in the UK, I've enjoyed hanging around with you the most. And I, obviously I really appreciated that, but I, I always wondered what was the reason he said that because I, I didn't see him that much. I didn't have much to offer him. So I, I wondered why he said that. Was it just because we were really good friends or was there more to it? And I realized it was both things. I realized, of, of course, it was because we were and we are still really good friends. But I also realized that there was no space. It, it was because he didn't feel like he could hang around anywhere where he, men could just talk to each other. There was no real bonding experience because men in Britain just don't know how to bond anymore. And it was the fact that, that when we were hanging around together, there was, a, there was a bonding experience. And that's what he was speaking about. Anyway, he went back to Iraq and I spoke to him about a year in and he, and he started to sound a lot more like himself again. And I asked him the question, I said, what, what is it? Like, what is it that's changed? Because I know the economic climate in Iraq is not great. So your life can't be that easy. And I know you've contemplated leaving the country and going somewhere else just to be able to support your family and things. So it, it can't be that your economic situation is necessarily amazing. So it can't be that. And he said to me, he said, oh, no, things for him economically were a little bit better. He's managed, you know, he managed to sort things uh, things out for himself. So he was he was actually doing okay. So that was part of it. But the other thing that he said to me was, 
he said he's out with the guys two or three times a week. And he says, he says, we just go to the restaurant and we sit on a table and he says, there'll be like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 of us on a table. And we just talk and we're not drinking and we're not, you know, we're not smoking and we're not necessarily, we, we might watch some sports, but it's not just about the sports. We're just talking to each other. So we're just hanging out. Uh, as guys and he said you know uh, and every time we go out sometimes it's my turn to pay for everybody sometimes it's somebody else's uh, turn to pay for everybody because we just take it in turns and it, it's not a big deal because thing is in a place like Iraq sit, you know 13 or 14 guys sitting on a table for one guy to pay for everybody it's not that big a deal because it's not that expensive you couldn't dream of doing that here in the UK it's difficult enough just to go out as three or four guys and, and have to foot the bill for for all three or four guys it's just so expensive to do that here so there is this, there is an economic uh, angle to this. There is an economic aspect to this, but he said, you know, so the economic aspect of it does help facilitate this. But he said we just hang out and we just talk, and it's just guys. It's not women. It's not our children. It's just us as men. And he says I'm doing that three or four times a week. And I said to him, I said I'd be lucky to be able to do that once a year, right? Because those spaces are not are starting to not exist. I mean, uh, outside of London. To be able to go out in the evening to find somewhere that's not a precarious place to sit is rarer and rarer in the evenings in a place like the UK, especially in the north of UK. And then it's just incredibly expensive to be able to do that on a regular basis. And then just the way that our lives are, our work lives and, and all the other demands that we have, it's just very difficult to do. And I also find that in a lot of these spaces, when you go to these places and if you can find men to hang, to hang out with, I feel like they just want to talk about how do we earn more money? How do we make more money or how do I do things that can give me more success? I feel like that's what the conversation is always about. And I said to him, I said, you know, that this, this thing's been happening to me in London a lot. I said, I'm in London, especially when my book came out and especially when I started to get in, a, when I started to get a little bit of a modicum of following on social media, I would find people that I'd already known, but I hadn't spoken to for a long time. But a lot, in a lot of cases, it was also people that had just gotten to know me for quite a while on social media, right? And they would all reach out and say, I just want to come and see you. I just want to get to know you. I just want to, you know, I just want to kind of hang around. So I would say, yeah, of course, welcome. And they would come down, would go to the local restaurant, We'd have something to eat and we would speak and just get to know each other and they would go and that would be it. And in the beginning, it was, it. I thought, oh, this is really nice. You know, I thought, you know, London's always had this reputation for uh, people are cold to each other and, you know, there's no, there's no real kind of social life and people are very isolated. It's all about the rat race and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, there's, there's more to London than meets the eye. And so I was really enjoying these experiences in the beginning. But over time, I started to notice a pattern. I noticed that these people would tell me that I really want to meet you. They, they would, you know, lather me with compliments. They would come and see me. And then because they're my guest, I would be expected to pay for the meal. And, you know, it was okay in the beginning, but then it started getting a little bit silly, right? And sometimes they would come as two and three people, right? And then they would talk to me for an hour or two. And then all they would want to know really was how can they become successful? How can they make money? Right. Like, how can they increase their hustle? How can they um, improve their lives materially? It's all they want to know. And it actually wasn't an interest in me that they had personally. They had an interest in in what they thought was my story, what they thought was maybe my success story. Like, how did you do so well with your book? Or how have you been able to get a little bit of a social media following? Or you seem to be doing OK for yourself financially. Like, how can I do that? That's all it was really about. And it really started to get, it really started to get annoying. I was having to take time out in the evenings to basically do these free consulting sessions for people and then also pay for, pay for it all. 
And I started getting really irritated with it. And I, and I had this conversation with Ashraf when I told him. And, and he's, he just said to me, he said, that's really sad. I can't believe that's going on. But he remembered that that's the kind of behavior, that's the kind of attitude he was also experiencing in the UK as well. And it was just really sad. He said, look, this is not what, this isn't going on in Iraq. It's starting, this, this kind of attitude is starting to come in. This sort of capitalist attitude and lifestyle is starting to creep its way in. But it's not here yet. And he, he expressed his, his, his nervousness about it, his discontent about it. But it's not there yet. I, I think men just don't know how to bond with each other anymore. Like when they meet, they're only, they, they, they seem to only want to talk, talk shop or they'll only want to talk about sports, you know, or, or about their material gain or their material success. They just don't know how to be men with each other anymore. We've created a, a society where men are so afraid to be vulnerable with each other, to be you know, sensitive with each other, to care for each other, to love each other. You know, even saying that as a guy, you always have to change. It'd be like, you can't just say, I love you. You have to be like, I love you, dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, 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 gotta, you, you gotta throw it like you can't just say it. And, and it's interesting because that, that is where I do feel women have done a much better job of being there intimately for each other. Not sexually, but intimately. I don't feel like women are experiencing this as much. It's starting to happen to, to women as well, but it's not happening as much. I find that women are still able to do this with each other. They can still talk to each other on the phone. They can still kind of uh, have heart to hearts with each other. When they go out, it's not just about uh, talking about, you know, how to achieve material success. They can have heart to hearts with each other, right? I feel like men are not doing this anymore. And it's just really sad. I think it's really needed for men. And, you know, I remember when I was setting this place up, I don't know why, I was just feeling really anxious and I was just, I was just not feeling worthy enough. I, was not, I just wasn't feeling like I could really pull this off. And I remember actually calling Ashraf and talking to him and just being like really open with him and saying, look, I just need to talk to somebody. And he said a few words to me, he said a few little things to me and that's all it took and it changed everything, right? It just really just calmed me down and I just got on with it and there was no looking back. But that's all it took. And those spaces, I feel like they just don't exist anymore. Like this is something that Ashraf understands, this is something that I understand, but I just feel like a lot of men don't understand this with each other anymore. That you just need to be able to sit down and just be able to talk to each other. But it doesn't always have to be a conversation about how to earn more money or how to uh, establish more stature in society. Men should be able to talk to, about their problems to each other. Men should be able to have spaces where they can have heart-to-hearts heart, heart to hearts with each other. They should have spaces where they can just be themselves. But those experiences and those places are just becoming more and more fewer and far between. There's the economic uh, contributor to, to this because it's just becoming more and more expensive to do this. These things were supposed to happen in the masjid. That's where this was supposed to happen, right? Men were supposed to be able to go into mosques and just be able to hang around with each other, but the committees have taken over, right? There's all these signs. Every time you go into mosques, there's all these signs and there's all these rules and regulations. This is the house of Allah. Don't talk to each other, right? Don't speak, don't make noise. And, uh, you know, take off your slippers outside. And then the, the mosque is closed between between Dhuhr and, and Asr. So you can't walk in. And you just, you just kind of hang around there. You just can't talk to each other. I remember when I was in London and for that one day, there was a moment where the committee wasn't there uh, in the masjid and there was a, there was supposed to be a new there was supposed to be like a new management committee taking over and they set up a place in, in the top floor of the mosque right and there was just clusters of men just talking to each other right so i i was sat in a, in a, in a little cluster there were three or four men there we're just talking to each other we're just talking about anything about life right and then after five or ten minutes i was kind of done with that group so then i went and moved to another group and then i sat with that group of men right and, and then we spoke to each other and other, all, other men were doing the same thing. We were just kind of moving from, from one cluster to another, right? And that's all we were doing. And it, it was one of the best nights of my life, right? And it didn't cost me anything. It didn't take me hours and hours to, to, to find 
this location. It was just a mosque down the road. How do you feel? I'm really happy. Now is an opportunity for this mosque to be open for the whole community. My brothers actually here in the masjid, and alhamdulillah, uh, the biggest crowd, uh, except the Friday prayers or some other milad events and other things, one of the biggest crowds that I have uh, ever seen in the last 15 years that I've been living in Harrow. Suddenly, the other committee came back in and all those rules disappeared and it was back to just being like a prison and, you know, you just come in, you take your seat, you do what you need to do and then, and then you leave and then that's it. So how you feel about today? <sighs> but, you know, I remember seeing some tweets somewhere that said, you know, more and more we, we, we are now living in a time where there are more and more spaces where you can only hang around in those spaces if you're spending money. Right. So like Starbucks and Costa, but like the library is like one of the last places now that you can hang around where you're not expected to spend money. Right. But even in a library, you can't speak openly with the masjid is where this was supposed to happen. You know, the masjid from the time of Rasulullah, it was a social hub. That's where men were supposed to be hanging around. But that's now gone. The, the, the social hubs for men have gone. So the only place that men can now hang around is either where they Attention is being taken by something like a sports ground, a football match, a cricket match, or these kind of things, right? Or a boxing match or something. So that's taking up the majority of the attention or, a, a, you know, a, a, the cinema or something. Or it's a place where you can hang around, but you can't speak like the masjid. Or it's a place where you're expected to spend money like Starbucks and, you know, coffee shops and restaurants and these kind of things. That's, that's all we have left. There's no space where men can hang around where they're not expected to spend money, where they can talk freely to each other and they can hang around for as long as they want and it's accessible. That place doesn't exist, but it was supposed to be the masjid. If the masjids were to open up like this, they could solve so many of the problems that men are experiencing today. The biggest thing about men is that all they have to do is just talk to each other and they start solving problems for each other. It's all it takes. It doesn't take high IQ, right? It doesn't take fancy degrees. It doesn't take some genius idea. Men just need to be able to talk to each other because men are problem solvers and they can start solving problems with each other. It's just the flourishing of ideas and it's just the flow of ideas. But that's not taking place anywhere.